It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandell, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, The Athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in The Athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for Chronicles of Nania by the resident stat geek at Gangrene Nation, TurnOnTheJets.com, Elite Sports New York, and JetsInsider.com. And, of course, the man who has a lot of trouble saying the word indictment for some reason, Mr. <laughs> Michael Nania. What's going on, Michael? Yeah, I think it's a really good uh, indictment on this podcast <laughs> that I'm coming back so often and people are uh, <laughs> reaching out to actually kind of let us know what's going on. Give us this feedback. It's a great indictment on how good we're doing. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting. A ton of people were reaching out uh, telling me I was pronouncing this word wrong, but uh, the point is taken and I have improved. So, uh, once again, great indictment on our followers <laughs> uh, for uh, reaching out and giving us this feedback. Very useful. I got to tell you, Michael, it's one of those things that I would notice when we were taping, but then you would be giving long answers with a lot of information, so I'd be focusing on what we were talking about next, and I would forget to say something, and then a couple of people had said to me, too, I think it was Michael Pallas jokingly said to me, I love Nania, he's awesome, and the show was great, but I got to deduct a point for the fact that he said indictment instead of indictment. <laughs> and I completely forgot to bring it up to you. I just laughed and said, LOL. And then, yeah, a couple of people reached out to you directly and said that. So I thought that was really funny. But, you know, that happens because there are words that we read all the time but don't say out loud. 
So sometimes we don't necessarily always know the correct pronunciation of them. And then something like this happens. And now I'm pretty sure you'll never forget how to say indictment. Yeah, it's funny because like I was just thinking about it and I was like, I knew that was a word like I've heard that before. But and if you asked me what it meant, I'd probably think or tell you it meant the same thing as the mispronounced way I was saying it before. But uh, I guess, like you said, it's like just kind of that uh, gray area of like, OK, I've written it this way, but I when I've heard people say it like it's just kind of like mixing it up. I don't know. Some everyone has a couple words that they kind of mess up. And that was it for me. But uh, we have these great followers of this podcast who were uh, kind enough to reach out and let me know. So it's definitely uh, fixed now. And I am a better podcast uh, guest slash host now. <laughs> One of the words that I remember when I was younger that I would always mispronounce because I would read it all the time, but had never heard it said out loud was superfluous. I used to say superfluous. And then one day I heard somebody say superfluous and I was like, oh, that's how you say it. I've been saying it wrong all this time. That was back when I was in my teens. So it happens. There are words like that that you just don't say enough so you don't know the pronunciation. But now you know, and as you said, an indictment of this podcast that we didn't sort this out earlier. But today we're really going to start delving into the Sam Darnold project because Michael on the last episode... We started to give an introduction just so people would get an understanding for what was to come, and now we're going to start unpacking the games. So let's give a brief review of exactly what the criteria is for this so people have an understanding of where you're coming from when you go over the grades and what went into them for each game as we go through this. Yeah, so the really the concept that kind of launched this was I was looking back and just kind of giving a off the top of my head score out of 10 for every one of Darnold's games. And then just kind of thought like, what if I graded every single play of all these games and then saw what the scores came out to be? Cause you forget so much about all these games. So that's what I went back and did. Was, and so I basically, I graded every single play on a scale of zero to 10 using, using decimals, use, uh, usually on a uh, 0.25 interval on 0.25 intervals, zero to 10 scale. And five would be a perfectly average play, like, you know, a screen pass, just an easily, executed play that takes very minimal effort 10 would be the best play he's ever made i only gave out a couple 10s uh to throw to jameson crowder against baltimore i gave that one a 10 for as an example and then zero would be the absolute worst most inexcusable mistake you can make always pretty much always a turnover for example the the first play of his career which we'll actually talk about in a little bit uh the pick six against detroit like that would be a zero throwing across your body across the field for an interception so uh scoring every single play or passing play and obviously not including run plays just handing the ball off but any passing play or designed run or sack anytime he dropped back or had a designed run i graded any one of those plays uh, on a scale from zero to ten five being average so anything above five being a positive value play and anything below five being a negative value play and uh, i did some other some games for some other quarterbacks to get a reference uh, so then we could i could scale the each game on a scale of 0 to 100 with 50 being average uh, to give him a grade for each game based on what his average score was uh, per play using that 0 to 10 scale for each game. So ultimately, grading every single play, you get a 0 to 100 score with 50 being average uh, and just went through and did every one of his games. And it was definitely really interesting to do because, like I said, you forget so much about all these games. There's so many little mistakes that you forget about and overlook and you know sometimes you'll just remember all the positive plays forget the mistakes he made and also the opposite is true sometimes you'll 
uh, look too much at the big mistakes he made and forget about a lot of really positive plays uh, that uh, I'm talking about Donald here, but really this applies to any player. There's every single play matters and you really can only remember. Uh, it's only really possible for you to remember a few plays, even if you're the biggest of fans, like you watch the game one time, it's so hard to remember everything. So to go back and do this and just put a number on every single play, mesh it all together to get one number for every single game, uh, it's very interesting, and just to get a look at his progress from rookie year to his second year and just all the little ebbs and flows he went through, the hot streaks, the cold streaks, uh, the post in, post-injury post and pre-injury, uh, ups and downs with his rookie year and this year. It was definitely really interesting to do, and uh, it's definitely good now because I can look back at all these games and have an opinion on them based on, you know, just having been having rewatched all these games and just put a number on everything and uh, definitely gives me a a better look at his progress throughout his rookie year to this year and uh, a good stack up of how good each game was independent of what the box scores say. And the thing that I really like about this, Michael, is that we complain all the time about PFF and how they're completely not transparent with their grading system. So we don't know who's watching it. We don't know what goes into the grading. We have no idea what they saw. We just see a grade and then we're left to scratch our heads. And that's why we have to do what you're talking about, PFF, because so many times PFF will give a grade and we watch it back and we're thinking to ourselves, how the heck did they even come up with this grade? So you have a very easy to understand formula once it's explained and it's thorough and it goes through every play and it goes through every game and there is no mystery as to how this is being graded. So I think that's awesome because I wish that PFF did something like this because then I think their grades would be a heck of a lot more valuable. And what I thought would be cool is as we go through each of these games and explain to you why Michael came up with his grade for that particular game, we can even compare it to PFF and that way we could see if PFF's grades make any sense in the context of what Michael evaluated or if they were just coming up with grades that make no sense, which happens a lot with them. So that'll be a fun thing to compare and contrast. And Michael, let's start with the first game of Sam Darnold's career. And of course, his first pass in this game will always be remembered because he threw a pick six on his very first throw and everybody was worried. And it was on Monday Night Football on national television. And people were saying, oh no, what's going to happen here? Are the Jets going to end up getting blown out? Is Darnold going to be some major bust? And instead, after the pick six, Darnold brushed it off and ended up having a really, really good game. The Jets destroyed the Lions. In fact, that was the game where Darren Lee was bragging about the fact that the Jets knew all of the plays that the Lions were going to run, which says a lot more about the Lions and the Jets as far as I'm concerned. They forced a ton of turnovers. Tremaine Johnson actually had turnovers and Darren Lee, so that tells you how bad the Lions were if those two guys were making plays. And so when it came down to it, on a scale of 1 to 100, you graded this a 64, which is a pretty high grade considering that A, it was his first career game, and B, he did throw that pick six at the beginning. So what did you see that led to this grade? Yeah, so as you said, the pick six to open the game, that was an awful play, maybe even still the worst play of his career, and obviously he has had some big mistakes turning the ball over, but uh, that one definitely drags it down quite a bit, especially because this was a low-volume game. I, I only graded 25 plays from him in this game. I think officially he had 21 pass attempts in this game, so they didn't ask a lot of him because they got the they really built up that lead in the third quarter, and they basically didn't ask him. I think he only threw a couple of passes in the fourth quarter, so they didn't need too much from him 
because of how well everything else was going. Uh, so that one play does drag it down quite a bit. That's a play that I would give or did give a zero for it. That's an example of a play that there's no excuses for, just a complete and utter mistake. But after that, he settled in really well. If you take that one play out, uh, his the score I gave him over the rest of the game, just including every other play beside that one, that would equal up to be one of his best games, top three, top four, uh, great in the high 70s because he, he was just very consistent after that game, uh, after that first play to start his career. And uh, really just a positive, here we go using the word, indictment on his ability <laughs> to bounce back and just shake off that mistake. Uh, and that's something we talked about a lot with him throughout his career, just his ability to be unflappable, shake things off. And uh, his very first game was a perfect example of that. After that, uh, not a ton of splashy plays in this game, but he was so consistent. Uh, his ratio of positive to negative grades that I gave him in this game, a 3.2, that is the fourth best of his career. So he's really consistent. And again, nothing too flashy, but the best play he did make was that the first touchdown pass of his career, uh, 41 yarder to Robbie Anderson, uh, deep left down the sideline. And the throw wasn't the best on this play. He did underthrow him a little bit. Robbie Anderson made a great contested catch. But what made this play really special, and I gave him an 8.5 for this play, so nearly a 10, a few points off because it was a very clean pocket and the throw was, like I said, a little bit short. But what made this play really special was this was a third and two. He easily could have checked it down and taken a first down, but he dropped back and he, this is the youngest week one starter in history. He dropped back and he gives a little shoulder fake to the left to, I think it was Neil Sterling, who was, uh, kind of open but a little bit covered on the left i think he ran a curl route gives a shoulder fake moves the safety and opens up robbie anderson just with that alone the safety bites it comes down and uh a, just a veteran move there from the a 21 year old quarterback the youngest uh, like i said youngest in history uh that's what made that really special play so it was a really promising performance from him to shake that uh, shake off that mistake and be really consistent from that point forward the, the o-line was a, a rare case in, over his career helped him out in that game. The pass protection was pretty good and he handled it really well, made some good throws on the move, dumped it off when he needed to, uh, had a couple of nice slant routes. Quincy Nunwa hit a couple of throws outside the numbers to Terrell Pryor. It was, he really just really settled in again, nothing too amazing, not a ton of splash plays in this game, other than that really nifty shoulder fake to draw in the safety and get Robbie Anderson open. Uh, but his consistency, uh, consistency in this game was excellent after that opening interception. Like you said, the consistency for me was the key to this game because there weren't a lot of wow throws. Like you just said, nothing super fancy except for that one throw that you mentioned. But that ratio of positive to negative was one of the best that he had for the entire season. To me, it's kind of like when you look at a guy like Alex Smith and you see that he had X amount of touchdowns and very few interceptions. And so you don't necessarily want that to be his ceiling. The Lions game was a very good game, but it wasn't the best that he can be. But if he can have more games like this and be more consistent to go with some of the elite performances that he's had, which we'll talk about in a bit, I think that's what will transform him into a top-tier quarterback because the best guys generally, when they're not having their best day, they have closer to a consistent but not amazing day, which is more or less what he did here against the Lions. So that will be interesting to see as we go into 2020. If he can have more games that are his lesser games along the lines of this Lions game and fewer along the lines of the next game that we're going to talk about, then I think that he'll be on the right track. 
Yeah, for sure. And definitely raising his floor is that's a big key for Darnold, because even in the second year, uh, the worst game of his career, which, of course, we'll get to at some point, was that Patriots game on Monday Night Football this year. Uh, He really struggled in the last couple games against the Steelers and the Bills. So raising that floor is really important for him and not having those games uh, where he's, you know, kind of dragging the team down. And to be fair, and we'll get with this theme a lot as we talk about him more, but his worst games are pretty much always accompanied by the rest of the team playing really badly. So it's not like uh, he drags the team down and they lose games that they should win because of Darnold. That hasn't really happened that often because, uh, like I said, when he struggled, usually the offensive line's given up a ton of pressure. There's been drop passes. The defense hasn't played well. They played a good team. Uh, that's usually been the case when he struggled. One, if not all, or many, if not all, of those factors applying. So uh, it hasn't been a problem in which he's held the team back with these games, but he's still too often had these performances where he's played really poorly and kind of limited their chances of overcoming these things. So that's something he can be better with. But like you said, just to have those performances where even if he makes a big mistake and doesn't make that many incredible plays, just to be consistent, take advantage of when things are working well, uh, that would be great for his uh, floor to reach that level. And uh, another thing we'll get into is the fact that when the team around him has played well, he's taken advantage at an exceptional level. In this game against the Lions, he was only pressured on 21.7% of his dropbacks, the second lowest rate in any game of his career. And in games like that, he's taken advantage at an exceptional rate. So part of it is the Jets need to help him out a little bit more and uh, kind of not make it so he has to overcome so many uh, difficult circumstances as often. Uh, But for him, it definitely would be good to have uh, his lower points be more like this game in which, okay, you didn't do anything incredible. You might've made a bad mistake or two, but overall you kept the ball moving. You moved the chains, didn't kill us, gave us a chance, let the rest of the team do the job. And that's what he did uh, in his opening game against the Lions. So it was a good game, even not accounting for everything else that went into it. But uh, you take into account how he started the game, being the youngest starter ever playing on the road, prime time. uh, It was a great way to kick off his career. And like you said, the key here is that he's already shown that if things are going okay, then he can roll with the punches. The problem has been that he's not lifting the team when things aren't going well. Now, again, he's very young still. We know this. He's still already, even after two seasons, one of the youngest starting quarterbacks in league history. And so for him to be at that level isn't the end of the world. And even if he never gets past that, it's still a reliable starting quarterback that you're looking at over the long haul. He's not going to be the reason that you lose games, but the test is going to be whether or not he gets to that next level to be that quarterback that can lift the team. We've seen this with guys like Russell Wilson. Now, I'm not saying I expect him to be as good as Russell Wilson necessarily, but guys on that level will take a team like the one that he had in the playoffs this year and almost go on the road and beat a much better team that's a lot less banged up like Green Bay. That's what an elite quarterback can do for you. He's not necessarily going to win the game all by himself, but he can come about as close as humanly possible. So if Sam Darnold can get to that level, and like we said, the consistency and the bad games being more akin to this Lions game than being akin to a couple of the games that we are about to talk about, like the next two specifically... That's where the difference is going to be in terms of the jump. And one last thing on on just that whole point of being able to lift the team up or go with uh, go with it when they're playing well. Uh, when Darnold Darnold's only had eight games out of the twenty three in his career in which he was pressured on less than thirty four percent of his dropbacks, and that's about 
league average, only eight out of 23 games. And in those games, the Jets are seven and one. And the one game that they lost was the game against the Packers last year where Darnold put up, uh, I think, the what is still the best passer rating of his career. So when things have been going well, he's taken full advantage. But there has, there has not been a game where things went like, okay, the offensive line played well, things are really going pretty well, the Jets are helping Darnold out, and he let them down. It just hasn't happened. Uh, so you know that if, if, if it, that's all he becomes, then that's still really valuable. The Jets have not had a guy like that in a long time. Uh, so that is that's a quarterback you can win with. That's at least uh, a solid average level, and I think he's proven that he can be that. His numbers don't look that way because the Jets haven't helped him out as much as uh, any other quarterback has gotten help. The offensive line was at a league-worst level this season. The skill positions are around that level as well. So if you can bolster that supporting cast, he'll start to put up some average-level uh, numbers overall because – uh, when things are going well, he's proven he'll take an advantage. So the more you can do that as a team, the better he's going to look. But the question is if he can make the strides uh, to where he could do with like what you described with Russell Wilson, overcome everything and give the team a chance solely on your own. Which he did not do the next week against the Dolphins in week number two at home. And what really struck me about this, Michael, is looking at your chart the positive to negative play ratio dropped a lot. So you went from 16 to 5 in week 1 against the Lions to 19 to 17 against the Dolphins. So barely more positive plays than negative plays. And also, when you look at the overall grade, while it wasn't the worst game he's ever played, it was below average. You had an overall of 44. So definitely a step back here from week one to week two. It wasn't a gargantuan step back, but it was definitely noticeable. Yeah, and this Miami game was interesting because I feel like when I rewatched it the first time, maybe a few months ago or a year ago, that I had the perception he had a really bad first half and then came back with a really good second half to basically balance it out and almost make that comeback from 20 to nothing and potentially, you know, make it if a few other players on the offense uh, played their part, made a few catches. But uh, looking back, it really wasn't quite as good of a game uh, as I remembered. The first half was bad. Uh, as uh, as it seemed initially, they were trailing 20 nothing in this game. Uh, he had the one interception that's really bad, just completely missed the linebacker underneath, uh, looking for a slant to Quincy Noonwath, threw it straight into the chest of the linebacker. So his first half was really shaky, but he did come back with a pretty strong second half in this game, made a few nice throws that weren't converted by his teammates. He had the one nice play where he rolled out to his left, escaped the pressure, kind of made a little spin move to get out of the pocket, then dropped it nicely uh, about 25, 30 yards down the field, uh, dropped it over this, I believe it was, it was the safety, put it in the perfect spot for Chris Herndon. That would have been a huge pickup on a scramble play, hits him in the hands, and he drops it. And that was kind of a turning point for Herndon a little bit because he started off the season. Uh, this was really a rough game for him. There was also the play near the goal line where he couldn't punch it in. There was a play where Darnold, uh, late in the first half, hit him on a scramble, and then Herndon didn't get out of bounds. That cost the Jets a crucial timeout. That would cost him a touchdown a couple of plays later. So it was a, a rough game for Chris Herndon, but also Terrell Pryor. There was an interception Darnold threw uh, in the end zone uh, to Pryor, in which it looked like a pretty good throw. You look at the location of where he put it. It seemed like it was a well-placed ball, but Pryor, after the ball was thrown, kind of got shoved off of his route, looked like he quit on it a little bit. Uh, and that resulted in an interception so there were a lot of things like that but there were also some mistakes that Darnold made like for example on that prior interception Robbie Anderson was going to break wide open in the left corner of the end zone but Darnold went to prior on the right side 
for a slightly more contested throw that while it probably should have been a touchdown if Pryor kind of continued with the route, uh, Robbie Anderson was a lot more wide open. Uh, At the end of the first half, there was a play where Darnold uh, kind of, there was 10 seconds left. The Jets had no timeouts because of that play by Herndon in which he didn't get out of bounds. Uh, And he kind of, after he looked to his left and nothing was there, then he checked back to his right. uh, And it looked like he was just, with the internal clock winding down, he's just going to throw the ball out of bounds and go to the next play. But Quincy Nunwa was wide open in the back right corner of the end zone. And it looked like Darnold kind of recognized it too late, was already launching it out of bounds, and he couldn't take enough off of it. Uh, he airmailed it out of the back of the end zone and missed a wide-open touchdown to a Nunwa. So, uh, again, like you said, this was not a terrible game. He bounced back in the second half after a kind of rocky first half. Uh, to start this game. There were a lot of ways his teammates didn't help him out. The pressure was high in this game. And the pressure in this game, he took a lot of pressure in this game, and the Dolphins were not blitzing that often. It was mostly four-man rushes throughout this game. The Jets' O-line could not handle it. So uh, he really did not get a lot of help in this game. But there were also a lot of mistakes that he made. And just to go with what we were just talking about, it's an example of a game where, okay, if his teammates do their part, probably the Jets can come back and win this game. But there are still mistakes Darnold made, like that interception, uh, like those plays near the goal line in which he missed opportunities for touchdowns, plays where if he does the best thing possible instead of, you know, the second best option, like throwing it away instead of hitting a noon off or, or for, yeah, for a noon off for that touchdown or throwing that pass that prior, which was slightly covered instead of Anderson, who's wide open, plays like that, where if he does the best thing possible, it could have been a touchdown for sure. And he wouldn't have to rely on chance or, you know, have to have the timeout from Herndon or have to have Pryor not quit on his route. And those plays could have been more successful and the Jets could have won the game. So ultimately not a bad performance, uh, a loss that was much more on his teammates and, you know, a unproductive offensive day with only 12 points that was much more on his teammates than himself, but still an imperfect game overall. And there was a po- another positive play. There was a third and 22 play uh, the Jets had in the second half uh, and Darnold rolled out to his right kind of, threw it deep to a contested Terrell Pryor uh, down the sideline near the pylon, and it went right through Pryor's hands. It was a tough throw, really uh, a really aggressive shot from Darnold, but he put it in the perfect spot for his 6'4 receiver to get it and went right through his hands. So again, he did not get a lot of help in this game, but still an imperfect performance, and there were ways he could have made it easier on himself and his teammates that he didn't do, and that's why this checks in as only a 44 overall grade, but there were a lot of ways he didn't get help in this game. What really struck me here, Michael, is that you said there was more pressure, and boy, was there, because according to your chart, he faced just about double the pressure in this game that he did in week number one against the Detroit Lions, which is obviously going to make a tremendous difference. Should note, too, that if you have Game Pass and you want to watch back some of this stuff as we're talking about it just to get a better idea, you can do that, too, because that way you can see the visual as we're talking about it. But I'm sure that as we're going back over this, you're starting to have those memories again of what happened in these games last season. Michael, I want to bring up something about PFF, but first, we've already talked about how the best way for the Jets to continue Sam Darnold's progress moving forward is to protect him, to make sure that he's safe. The way that you want to keep your home safe if you have a family and you want to make sure that nothing happens to them, or even if you live by yourself, you want to make sure nothing happens to just you. 
That's why you need Simply Safe. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime, and that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you when anyone's approaching your home. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard the inside. And Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning with 24 hour a day, 7 day a week monitoring by live security professionals. Protect your home with Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com slash overtime today and get free shipping on your order plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime to save on home security today. Simplysafe.com slash overtime. Now, as I was saying, Michael, I want to bring PFF into the mix here. Let's compare the PFF grades. You gave Darnold a 64 in week one against the Lions. You gave him a 44 in week two against the Dolphins. What did PFF give them for those two weeks? Yeah, so PFF, their scale is a little bit different. It's not uh, 0 to 100. It's 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 kind of different how they do it. A really bad game is more around like 30 to 25, and a really good game is usually in the 80s rather than 100. But in terms of how it ranked over his season, PFF had these games a lot closer. They gave him a 64 for Detroit and a 60 for Miami. So again, that's a different scale than what, what I'm using zero to hundred, but it's still pretty close. And uh, I definitely, I think the Detroit game uh, is what checks in as a little bit underrated here, or that's it. That was actually his passing grade. So his overall grade um, at PFF, these two games, 67 for Detroit, 59 for Miami. So I think Detroit is a little bit underrated here. Uh, that's a score that's Closer to closer to his game against uh, Chicago, which we'll get to eventually, uh, than it is to some of his good games this season. Uh, I think they underrated the Detroit game a little bit, and I think the Miami game does check in somewhat around uh, where it should be. Fifty nine is a below average score uh, at PFF, kind of like uh, similar to what a forty four would be, like I gave him. So I think that one uh, is pretty decently graded, but the Detroit game, I think, uh, was a little bit better than they gave him credit for, and they probably did knock him off a lot for that uh, opening game pick six because, you know, pick sixes have, you know, really negative value, and it makes a lot of sense because of just how rare those are. Uh, They're big killers, and you need to do a lot to overcome it, and it being a low-volume performance, like I said, uh, he didn't throw a lot of passes in that game, only 21. Uh, He didn't really get enough uh, time and opportunity to kind of make up the value lost from that but in my grades I definitely thought it was a good performance and he made up for it I think PFF undervalued it a little bit but uh, these two games not not too awful with how they graded I, I think some of their worst grades for Darnold are definitely not these two games coming later on in this season and in 2019. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began 
began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We get to week three, which is one of Darnold's worst games of the season. Again on national television. Imagine that, Michael. The Jets on national television twice in the first three weeks of the season, taking on the Cleveland Browns. Tyrod Taylor started this game, and the Jets were up for a while, and then Taylor came out, Baker Mayfield came in, the wheels fell off, Darnold really fell apart, Mayfield shined, and the Browns were able to win this one. A lot of people point back at this as a game that was largely on the shoulders of Todd Bowles, who did a poor job coaching, especially letting this one get away, but there's no way around this. Sam Darnold was really, really bad in this game. His positive to negative play ratio was not good at all. In fact, he had more than double the amount of negative plays than positive plays. He did face a pretty good amount of pressure, but here's what I thought was interesting too, Michael, and this goes to what we were talking about with consistency. The wow plays, he had a 9.4 score as opposed to a 9.18 in the Detroit game, which is a much better overall game. So while he didn't do much that was flashy in that Detroit game, he had a much better overall performance in this game, a little bit more flash, but overall far worse performance. So it's nice to see those wow plays, but you want to see the consistency. And again, that was the problem throughout a lot of this season in this game it was just a mess all the way around and as I said one of his weakest games of his rookie year yeah so the wow score is kind of like a wow factor thing that I came up with that combines the average score of his positive plays with the average score of his negative plays kind of give you a a one number look at how well he avoided big time mistakes and how well he put together big time plays uh, on the positive side so in this Cleveland game he did a little bit better than Detroit and In Detroit, really, the problem was that his average negative score was really low just because of that one interception. And again, low-volume performance, so it really affects it. Uh, In the Cleveland game, his average positive score is somewhat okay because he did make a couple of really nice scramble plays to Isaiah Carell in this game. But like you said, he had over. I gave him over twice as many negative grades as positive grades in this game. Only eight positive plays I gave him in this game. That's the fewest of any game. In his career, I gave him a 14 grade. That's the third worst of his career. 
Uh, and his ratio positive to negative plays, 0.47. That's the worst of his career. So this game, uh, he was really bad. It was one of the worst performances of his career. The, his stats don't look quite that terrible, but the Jets really helped him out. He threw a bunch of screen passes in this game that were really successful. I think he completed six screen passes in this game for about 60 yards. Through the air, I believe he only averaged uh, completed passes, completed yards through the air. I think he only averaged about 2.3 per attempt throughout the game. So think about that. Throughout the entire game, his average pass traveled. Com- average, he averaged two completed air yards per pass throughout the entire game. So that would be about 60 yards throughout the whole game, which is really, really bad. So uh, he really struggled in this game. The Jets kind of did a good job recognizing it early on and going to a lot of screenplays, and that's kind of how they were able to actually score some points in this game. Uh, but he made some really risky decisions, some plays that should have been inter- intercepted. He did have two late in the game. One of them was just a desperation heave, but one was really bad. The Jets were actually driving and kind of putting themselves in position to maybe take the lead uh, late in the fourth quarter, but he threw a really bad interception on, I believe it was third down. Uh, just a ball, that, again, and we've seen this uh, quite, and he's gotten, he got better at this in 2019, but uh, throwing a ball that, that probably should have been thrown out of bounds or into the dirt and just chucking it into the middle of the field. Uh, this was the third game of his career, you know, second prime time game, third game in 10 days to start his, his career, actually. Uh, Thursday night game in week three after kicking off with the Monday night game. Uh, so at this point, probably pretty fatigued, a really rocky start to his career, talking about Monday night football to start his career on the road, coming home for a home opener, and then Thursday night football on the road. Uh, so a tough start. He, he was young at this point. He's gotten better at this, but uh, an interception he shouldn't have thrown. And really his accuracy throughout this game was pretty shaky. There was a throw to Jermaine Curse that was completed, but he threw a little bit behind him and couldn't get it to the first down marker. And there were just some decisions in this game that were pretty rocky. There was... Uh, there was one play where he actually, and this I think is an example of another thing I think he's improved at a little bit, uh, but this being his third game of his career, still struggled with. Uh, the pressure was getting to him in this game. There was a lot of pressure, and I think he got to the point where he was really kind of ditching the pocket and throwing it away too quickly. There was one play uh, where Robbie Anderson broke wide open on a corner route on the left side. Uh, could have been about a 20-yard gain, but Darnold threw the ball away really quickly, and there wasn't that much pressure. So I think you kind of saw that get to him uh and it's kind of like what happened in that new england game this year and uh although i did say he has improved at it it did happen uh in that patriots game this year but after that game he did start to improve it but it's an example of how pressure can affect a quarterback uh, even when the pressure isn't there and in a game where you're getting pressured a lot uh, when the pressure is not there you're just kind of expecting it to come and that's when a quarterback can kind of make some hasty decisions and do things uh, like i just explained in this Browns game, just throwing the ball away when you don't really have to because you're expecting that pressure to come. So uh, that's just the effect of a highly pressured game, even on plays uh, where the quarterback isn't getting pressured. If he's having a game where the offensive line is constantly getting beat, pressure is getting there quickly, he could start to make some hasty decisions. And that's what Darnold did against Cleveland. Shaky accuracy, some really poor decisions. Uh, there was one play where he was uh, rolling out to the right after the pressure came. Uh, there were a few options he could have thrown to Chris Herndon was wide open. It would have been a tough throw. It was about 20 yards down the field, but he was wide open. He could have made that throw. Darnold passed up on that. I think it was Robbie Anderson's open for about five. I think this was the first down play. So Robbie Anderson was open for about maybe five yards right in front of him for a potential completion. But Eric Tomlinson was in between those two guys about 15 yards down the field. 
behind where Darnold was, so closer to the middle of the field than Darnold, who was running towards the sideline. And that's where Darnold threw the ball. He throws it across his, across his body towards the middle of the field. Should have been picked off by Joe Scobbert, but it wasn't. Uh, so just some bad decisions under pressure in this game. And he made has made some progress in this. And this is a theme in his rookie season. He has overcome pressure better. He did a better job in 2019. It's still something he's got to be a lot better at. It's still uh, probably his biggest weakness. But in his rookie season, before that, uh, before his four-game stretch to end the season, he was pretty bad in all the games where he took a lot of pressure and pretty good in all the games where he didn't take a lot of pressure. But then after he came back from that injury and in 2019, he had uh, a pretty good handful of performances in which he was good under a lot of pressure. But to start his career, it was pretty black and white. If the Jets helped him out, kept him clean, he was good. If he took a lot of pressure, uh, he struggled a lot. But since then... It, again, it's still an issue. He still had games like the New England game this year, uh, like the game against Pittsburgh this year is another example. Games where he struggled under pressure, he's got to be better at that. But since the start of his career, he definitely has shown some more, free, much more frequently shown flashes of being able to handle that. To start his career, he looked like a rookie. In those games where the offensive line was really struggling, he was not able to answer it, and Cleveland was a great example of that. Michael, there were times in this game when Darnold looked flat out confused. The defensive coordinator seemed to have him befuddled. A credit to that defensive coordinator. It would be really awesome if the Jets had somebody like that running their defense, wouldn't it? Yeah, I I forget who was Cleveland's defensive coordinator last year, but uh, just like what they were doing there, it's pretty similar to what the Jets did uh, in 2019. But uh yeah, Greg Williams was really good for the Jets this year, really similar to that guy uh, Cleveland had in 2018. So uh, for the Jets to go out and get a guy similar to that 2018 Browns defensive coordinator, again, his name escapes me right now, but uh, it would have been a re- it was a really good move of them to go get Greg Williams, very similar to that Browns coordinator. Yeah, it was a shrewd move there by the Jets to go out and do that. They saw what that defensive coordinator did to the Jets and realized that his defensive system is very similar to Greg Williams, so it would be a good idea to actually go out and get Greg Williams. In fact, actually, I think the defensive coordinator for the Browns was Greg Williams, now that I think about it. You're right, right, you're right, it was. Go figure. How about that? So now at least Sam (laughs) Darnold doesn't have to face him anymore, which is nice, except in practice. How did PFF grade this game compared to the grade that you gave it? Yeah, this is one of the ones I think I disagree with. So they gave him a 43.5, which is pretty bad, but it's higher than uh, Darnold's game the following week against the Jaguars, which, as we'll get into, was also a pretty bad performance. But uh, I think they definitely grade him too highly here. This is one of the worst performances of his career, and they did grade it that way, but still I think it was a little too high. But um. Yeah, I definitely think a little too high here because he did not do much of anything in this game besides a couple of nice scramble plays to Isaiah Correll. Although one of those was actually, uh, it's weird to say because you don't think of Isaiah Correll as a receiving back and he's not, but uh, he probably made the two best pass catching plays of his career in this game, uh, really helping out Darnold on those two plays. But other than that, there's just really not a lot of positive to go around here. So I think they did overrate him a little bit here, but they did still give him a bad grade, which uh, he deserved. That's going to wrap up part one of the Sam Darnold project. Looking back at every single game, Sam Darnold has started in his young NFL career with the great Michael Nania. We'll have part two for you next week. In the meantime, if you haven't caught Jamal Westerman talking about his journey 
from the end of his Rutgers career all the way to the Jets, which included all the postseason workouts, the combine, all the interviews with the teams, and how he finally wound up on the Jets even though he didn't get drafted. Give it a listen. It was awesome. In addition to the mailbag episodes that we did with Chris Nimbley answering your questions about football, the Jets, and a lot of other things that had nothing to do with football but were just fun, including what constitutes real pizza as opposed to fake pizza. That was a fun discussion that we had, so check those out. And tomorrow, we'll be back with part two of our series, looking back at the Rex Ryan years, stories from the Jets beat with Manish Mehta. Manish has tons of killer stories from the Rex Ryan years, some of which he has never told before, so it'll be your opportunity to hear them for the very first time. If you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. If you enjoyed the show, it's an easy way to help out. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it does a lot for us, so we'd really appreciate it. Don't forget to follow Michael Nania on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Let's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.